You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. recently traveled to North Carolina to speak at the funeral of a close family friend. While I was prepping for the funeral, I I was reading through Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and this is what it says in verse 2. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Now that seems to go against everything we think as humans, the idea that it's good to go to a funeral. Um, But this ancient Hebrew wisdom tells us it's good to be gathered for a funeral because we need to acknowledge that death is real and that life is short. And when we're at a place where we're celebrating the life and mourning the death of a loved one, it encourages us to make the most of our time. I was recently listening to a podcast and they were debating the merits of hosting a funeral for yourself before you pass away giving yourself an opportunity to share stories with your friends and and see what kind of an impact you had made and to laugh and to cry and to be there celebrating life. And it got me thinking, you know, what would I want people to know if I knew that my time on earth was limited? What would I want my family and my friends to know? What would I want them to hear from me? What kind of wisdom would I want to impart? What kind of time would I want to spend with them? We've been going through the writings of one of Jesus' closest followers, a person named John, And we've been going specifically through a lot of material from a gospel he wrote, a biography about Jesus. And as we near the end of Jesus' time on earth through John's gospel, we can see that Jesus has an idea that his time on earth is limited. In John chapter 11, he gets word that one of his friends is sick and eventually that friend dies and Jesus mourns his passing, but then raises him from the dead. In John chapter 12, the very next chapter, uh, one of the person, Lazarus, was the man who was dead and resurrected. His sister Mary comes and anoints Jesus' feet with costly perfume. And Jesus' followers don't really understand what she's doing and think it's, it's kind of a waste. So they confront her and him about this. And Jesus says, leave her alone. She brought it to me so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. See, Jesus is already very aware that his time on earth is short. And so, you know, what would he do with his time, his limited time, with his closest friends and followers? Well, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and then he celebrates the Passover with his closest followers. And at that meal, he gets down and he washes their feet as an act of service to let them know that he loves them, but also that they need to be servants themselves, even though he knows already that one of them is going to betray him. And then in the next few chapters of John, Jesus teaches his closest followers and he prepares them for his death, for him leaving them. In John chapter 13, starting verse 34, he says, I give you a new command that you love one another just as I have loved you. Also, you should love one another. See, Jesus tells them, hey, I'm not going to be here very long, so I want to make sure you know that it's important that you commit to these relationships, that you care for each other, that you're there for each other when you face difficult times. In the very next chapter, though, he also tells them it's not just going to be the relationships with each other that matter, but instead their relationship with God is going to change, and that's good and important for them. 
In John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I will come to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Jesus here tells his closest followers, hey, I'm going to be leaving you soon. My time on earth is limited, but you won't be alone. Jesus promises to send God's Holy Spirit to live in them and to be with them when they're facing the difficult days ahead. A few chapters later, at the end of this conversation, Jesus even says to them in John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, I'm sure that was hard for them to hear. They didn't want Jesus to leave, but he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So let's talk about this advocate. Um, here the word is paraclete, which can be translated as advocate, helper, or even comforter. It's used about five times in the New Testament, all by John, and once for Jesus, but the other four times are actually for the Holy Spirit. Um, the definition of advocate is a person who publicly supports or recommends a particular cause or policy. And I don't know about you, but I am, I love legal dramas on TV. So my first thought of an advocate was what I see on TV, the lawyer going to the judge and pleading the case that his client is not guilty. But if found guilty, he pleads the case to get the least possible sentence, the least amount of punishment for his client. But in this particular instance, that didn't quite make sense to me because Jesus already was that advocate for us. He paid the price for us. We were found guilty, but Jesus took our punishment. So what exactly is the Holy Spirit advocating here? To me, the Holy Spirit is advocating to us, not for us. How does he do this? Well, the first thing is he speaks truth. It even says he's the spirit of truth. So the only thing he can do is speak truth. He first thing he tells us is that, yes, you are guilty, but not in a way that makes you feel bad or demeaning or tries to put you down. But hey, look, you are guilty. But also, I want to remind you that you have the best possible plea deal. Jesus paid the price for your guilt. So the point of Reminding us of that is not to put us down, but to just remind us that we are loved and that we are saved. So he speaks the truth. He reminds us of the truth. He reminds us that we are children of God. In verse 18, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. He's reminding you that God the Father has adopted you as your children. You are children of God. And he reminds you of when you're wrong. Again, not to make you feel bad, but to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Maybe you should change your ways and live the life that we're supposed to be living. Um, he also is here with us. In verse 17, it says, you know him for he dwells in you. 
Um, he lives in us. He's our connection to the Godhead. To me, there is no greater intimacy than allowing the Holy Spirit in your heart. Um, in the scripture, we see that all three Godhead are mentioned. Jesus praying to the Father to send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus telling them that they are he's sending another advocate. Like, he is an equal part of the Godhead. He's not lesser than, he's part of them. And he is our connection to the other two. I don't think we can have a relationship with the Godhead without having the Holy Spirit in us. It does say the world cannot see him because they have not accepted Jesus. So the world cannot experience the Holy Spirit because they have not accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Which brings me to this. How do you, we let him help us? Because he's just not going to do it without us letting him. We have to accept him. When we love Jesus and accept him as our Savior, we get the Holy Spirit. They're a package deal. Um, one analogy is he comes standard with them. He's not an extra add-on. So once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you get all three, the God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It, you can't really accept one without the others. Um, and then verse 15, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is something else that he helps us with, is loving. We love Jesus, we love, and then we become obedient. We don't, we obey out of love, we don't love out of obedience. So what does this mean for us? How do you feel or see his presence? Um, I can give you personal experiences of things that he reveals to me or reminds me of a scripture at the most important time or reminds me to call someone that need that or sends a name to mind and I reach out to that person just to say, hey, is there something I need to pray for you about? And that person usually, it is a time of need. The Holy Spirit, if you're willing to listen will show up and will speak to you in times and remind you what you need to hear. Uh, Francis Chan said this about the Holy Spirit in the church. He says, if I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of the main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, we don't have unity. We can't function the way we're supposed to. Um, and most people think of the Holy Spirit as this supernatural being and supernatural things happening every time he's here. Well, guess what? He is here. He's in our hearts. He's in our lives. And the supernatural power is the unity and the love that the church is supposed to have. If we see an outpouring of love, we see an outpouring of unity, then we're seeing the supernatural powers that the Holy Spirit has. And if you don't have an understanding of the Holy Spirit, it's like you're leaving the best player on the bench. You can't, you can't fulfill the command that you're supposed to love one another and that we're supposed to go out and reach the world without the Holy Spirit. So we have Jesus who walked on earth beside the apostles as their helper and advocate. And then he sends the Holy Spirit, which we have today, to be with us as our helper and our advocate. So as Jesus prepares for his death, 
He spends time with his disciples and he reminds them they need to be there for each other and that they are not gonna be alone because God's spirit will be with them and in them. And that's comforting words to people who are facing difficult times.